This is the Championship Chat Podcast, your home of news, views and debate from England's second tier. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Championship Chat Podcast. I'm your host, Elliot Jackson, and I am joined as always by George Smith. George, how are you doing? I'm not bad, mate. How's things with you? Yes, all good, thank you. Ready to dissect another big weekend with you for the next hour or so. As always, a reminder to make sure you are subscribed to this podcast feed, which you can find on all your usual platforms, and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at ChampChatPod24. On today's podcast, we'll be dissecting the penultimate weekend of the season as the promotion battle and race for the playoffs go down to the wire. This is the Championship Chat Podcast. We're going to start, George, with a match that includes both of those battles that we've just referenced there. As Blackburn Rovers lost 3-0 at home to Bournemouth at Ewood Park, signalling the end of their playoff hopes, but strengthening the Cherries' ideology of getting into the Premier League. Of course, this was a game I was at, covering it for Lanks Live in my new role as Blackburn Rose reporter. And very interesting game. Um, Bournemouth were absolutely excellent, I have to say that first and foremost. And obviously, they can secure promotion now on Tuesday night if they beat Nottingham Forest at the Vitality Stadium. Starman, without a shadow of a doubt, was Dominic Solanke. He was absolutely outstanding. And if Bournemouth do get into the Premier League next season, I have every belief that Solanke will make the grade and I don't necessarily mean that in a goal scoring way I'm not convinced Dominic Solanke will score you more than 10 goals in the Premier League yet I'm not saying he can't he's had a brilliant season what's he on 29 championship goals now for the season with his goal at the weekend however those are not the skill sets that make me think he's good enough for the Premier League necessarily it's the fact that he's so versatile and he's he's almost like a complete all-round forward he can link play really well. He can drop in as a number 10 and link the play against deep defences. But he's also got pace to burn. And there was one instance in the second half where it was uh, still 1-0 at this point. Blackburn chasing, trying to get back an equaliser. And Solanke does a ball over the top and he's probably about five yards behind Scott Wharton and he blisters past him, absolutely ruins him for pace, cuts inside, nutmegs uh, Jean-Paul Van Heck. They run into each other. And then left-footed shot, which he should have scored and sort of ran out of steam and Kaminsky saved it. And I just feel like he's going to be a real asset for any Premier League team, whether it's Bournemouth, whether he moves in the future. I don't think he's going to score 15, 20 goals in the Premier League. I could be proven wrong. I'm not saying he can't do that. But I think he's good enough to play in the Premier League regardless because I think you see a lot more now, especially in the Premier League. You, your strikers need to do more than stick the ball in the back of the net. And he's got all the attributes to lead the line for a Premier League club with the way, as I say, he's multifaceted, he can come to play, he can link play, he plays a number 10, or he can use his power and his strength and his pace to get in behind. He's stocky, he can hold the ball up, win headers. And I was really, really impressed. First time I've been able to see him live as in, in the flesh this season, and he was by far the man of the match and really strong performance from Bournemouth. Philip Billing, of course, getting a brace. Uh, Slanky setting up the second one. Uh, for him, Suriki Dembele looked really slick when he came on as well as a substitute and really, really good performance from Bournemouth, another clean sheet as well and um, they'll be pleased that there's a three-point gap still between them and Forrest going into Tuesday night. Yeah, it's the perfect result they needed, isn't it? With that game looming large on Tuesday night and what a contest that promises to be. I'm sure we'll discuss that later on but for Bournemouth, they've they've been a little bit hit and miss, haven't they, of late? Obviously, they were 3-0 down at Swansea in the week, came back and got a point with an unbelievable comeback. 
and then obviously went to Blackburn and produced a, an excellent away performance, really good result. And it's the weird thing with Bourne because they've they've been hit and miss in recent weeks, but they've not been losing games. They've either been really, really at it or just been kind of coasting along that little bit. Whereas, obviously, they're six games unbeaten now, so they're in good form as we approach the, the very, very end of the season. But the thing is, when you've got somebody like Dominic Solanke at the top end of the pitch, you are going to be able to cause problems. And that's exactly what he did at the weekend. The, the man's on fire at the minute. It's now five goals in his last four. He is, for me, after Alexander Mitrovic, the best striker in the Championship by a country mile. And you said there about, obviously, the next challenge for him is to do it in the Premier League. And I think, when you think about it, he's already played over 60 times in the Premier League. Obviously, he had spells at Chelsea and Liverpool. Admittedly, he was only a young kid there. But you don't get chances for those clubs if you've not got something about you. And obviously, it was always going to be a case where he was going to have to leave the big, big clubs to lay down his roots and, and get a get a real feel for regular first-team football. And at Bournemouth, he's done that now two seasons in a row. Been excellent this season, absolutely superb. And I think in the Premier League, I think he has definitely got the ability to really shine. And we've seen Ivan Tony this season. He's stepped up. He's scored some goals in the Premier League was never going to be as prolific as he was in the Championship. And it would probably be the same for Solanke. But if you supply the guy with the service, he's going to score your goals. So I think there's uh, no doubt that if Bournemouth get there, that they've already got a ready-made number nine that's going to do the business for them. But obviously this battle for the top two is, is not over yet. And you can't believe, can you, we're sat here with less than a week to go now until the season finishes and all eyes are on one game and one game only. And what a contest it promises to be on Tuesday night. I'll tell you something, forget Liverpool versus Villarreal. This is my viewing on Tuesday night, 100%. Can't wait for it. Should be a cracker. Should be any championship neutrals game. Absolutely, it's going to be a really great game. Brightburn did have chances in this game, I will say. Um, at 1-0, Ben Brereton Diaz hit the post. Probably should have took the shot a little bit earlier uh, and gone across uh, Mark Travers. A couple of chances in the second half as well where he got in sort of down the left channel, a couple of good saves from Mark Travers. So there were big saves at big moments from Travers, which of course is something we've seen constantly throughout the course of the season. He's been excellent for Bournemouth this season. But no doubt, certainly once the second goal went in and from the hour mark really, the Premier League quality really started to show. Billing was excellent. Dembele, when he came on, uh, made a real impact as well down the left. So Bournemouth worthy winners, I don't think anyone would dispute that. Of course, the bigger news surrounding Blackburn is the news that Tony Mowbray will be leaving the club at the end of his contract after five years. Of course, it's something I'm covering closely at the minute. And I have to say that the decision has split the fan base, I think, down the middle in terms of whether he should get a new contract, whether he should not. For me, that's the insignificant part of this. And the most disappointing aspect of this is the way it's been handled by the club. There's been no communication to Tony Mowbray from Steve Waggett, who's the CEO, and Sahail, who's an advisor and, and someone who is the link between Mowbray and the owners, the Venki Group, of course, in India. And for me, it's been really disappointing that the club has not put any statements out. They've not had that communication. And after five years, it seems like Tony Mowbray was due the decency of a conversation, even if it was to sit him down and say, look, Tony, we're going to go in a different direction. We think that... You've done a great job, but we want a fresh voice, a fresh pair of eyes. Five years, a long time in club management. I understand all those arguments, but I do think the way it's been handled has been poor and has been a little bit lacking in class, if I'm being completely honest. I've got to watch what I say a little bit, but that is my honest opinion on it, being in and around the club. 
I think that Tony Mowbray's dealt with it as well as he could. And it, it's sad that he's had to announce it to the press, mainly pretty much on Thursday in midweek, uh, at his press conference where he, he pretty much said, it looks like I'm going to go. And then officially confirming it uh, after the game on Saturday with the playoffs no longer available. In terms of a next coach, I don't know who the next manager is going to be at this point. Obviously, we'll, I'll be doing some digging next week. But it's got to be a coach that can develop young talent. That much is clear. It's got to be someone that wants to get the best out of what is a, a talented group of young players. There's a lot to work with at Blackburn, but but the budget is not going to be enough for a proven winner, per se, to come in and take this to a, a title-challenging team. This has got to be someone that comes in and wants to use the likes of Lewis Travis, John Buckley, Scott Wharton, um, Bradley Dack, Sam Gallagher, Ryan Hedges... Uh, and those sort of players, Hayden Carter coming back from, after a loan spell from Portsmouth as well. He should be someone that gets a run in the team because there's a lot to do at Blackburn. They need a new manager. Head of recruitment's going to leave. The captain's most likely going to leave with Daryl Lenehan out of contract and yet to sign a new deal. Same with Ryan Nyambi. Same with Joe Rothwell. Ben Brereton Diaz has got one le- year left on his contract. Do they sell him? Probably if they get a, a, an eight-figure offer. I would argue that will happen. But they've got to reinvest that money. The Adam Armstrong money wasn't reinvested. That money has got to be reinvested for a new manager. So we'll see where that goes. But for me, it's a sad end to Tony Mowbray's time in the way that it's come about. I'm not saying necessarily it's the wrong decision, but it's a big, big summer coming up for Blackburn Rovers. And it's hard to say right now whether they'll be in a better position for this decision in 12 months' time or not. It's a really strange one, isn't it? Because when you when you think back to all the way back in August at the start of the season, if you'd said to your average Blackburn Rovers fan that you're going to be ninth in the table with a game to go, they probably would have looked at that and thought, that's a pretty solid season for us. That's really good. It's it, it's the progress that we want to make for where we want to be. But when you remember where they were at Christmas and that fabulous run that they had where they were well, steamrolling it was everybody. The, the 8th of February, George, they were second. They were second in the league That's on the 8th the thing, of February. It? It's just, it's remarkable how they've dropped off. But we know from past experience that Tony Mowbray's sides do have a tendency to fall away towards the end of the season. Obviously, that it's almost a curse, isn't it, that's, that's caught up with Blackburn again. So, in that sense, it is a disappointment that they are not even going to make the top six, whereas in the grand scheme of things overall, it's not been a bad season for what they would have expected at the start of the year, especially when, obviously, they... They lost Adam Armstrong. They obviously lost Harvey Elliott, who they had on loan last season. So they lost two massive players there straight away. So in the grand scheme of things, it's not been a bad season, but it's when you consider where they were only a few months ago that's made it seem like an absolute failure. But I've been looking at the latest betting odds and obviously betting odds, managers, transfers, whatever, they, they mean very, very little, but everybody looks at them just for, a, for an insight into who could be in the running. And the current top five, as things stand, are Daniel Farker, Gareth Ainsworth, Damian Johnson, Michael Appleton and Derek McInnes. It's not the most inspiring list I've ever seen. I, Daniel I Farker's lie. the one that the Daniel fans Farker's particularly Daniel Farker's by far want. and away the most, the most adventurous and most exciting. Gareth Ainsworth, I think that would be a bit of a gamble. Everybody's obviously spoken about how he's done so well at Wickham, which he has, and has the time come for him to get an opportunity. But for Blackburn, are they at a stage now where they need a proven promotion winner rather than taking a gamble on somebody that wants to prove a point? But at the same time, for instance, we've seen Ryan Logo into Preston this season where it was a bit of a gamble, never managed at this level before. And he's done reasonably well in his first few months and I'm quite excited to see what they do next season. So it's a very interesting one. But for Blackburn now, it's a, 
it's a big summer, as you said there, obviously some key personnel out of contract, changes we made on and off the pitch. So it's just for me, I think it's a case of how quickly they manage to get things in order. Obviously, the season starts earlier next season because of the World Cup. So there's a lot of things to take into consideration. So it's going to be interesting. It's going to be a, a very, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It's probably a unique summer, I think, for Blackburn. It's going to be different to what we've seen in the past. Obviously, a lot of changes. And like Tony Mowbray said, uh, I saw his interview on the television on Saturday night. I've been here for five years in football management. That's a long, long time in this in this day and age. And let's be honest, he took the, they dropped into League One with him. He got them back. And he has developed the club for the better over the course of his tenure. So I think... Obviously, a lot of people have criticised him in recent weeks and he's got to go, he needs to get out, we've had enough. It's important to remember the bigger picture at times and just remember how far they've come in, really, a short space of time, really. So I think Tony Mowbray can leave Blackburn with his head held high, had a good five-year stint, overseeing some good development of individual players. And to be honest with you, let's be honest, for, for the bulk of this season, they put on a decent show for everybody. I think for me, with when I think about the new manager, I think that... I don't particularly see Blackburn paying a compensation fee out for someone. Um, so someone like a Liam Manning, who would be a really good option, in my opinion. That's not um, any insight in terms of something I know. But that's from what I think personally. I think he'd be a really good option if MK Dons don't get up. But I don't see Blackburn paying a compensation fee. Daniel Farker's definitely the best out there, probably, at the minute. If I was Daniel Farker, would I be jumping at the chance to go into Blackburn Rovers with all the uncertainty? I think that that's probably not going to be the case. I think that he's got enough on his CV in recent history that he can probably be a little bit more selective. And I think there's a lot of uncertainty. And I would, if I was Daniel Farker, I'd be wanting a lot of assurances about the ambition of the club, the resources that will be available, and who's going to be at the club. And I'm not sure some of those questions can be answered right now. So it will be interesting to see where they go. Just lastly, though, I think for whoever does take that job, there are some very, very exciting individuals to work with. And Definitely, it's, not a, it's a good even group. Obviously, they might lose Lenny Hearn, they might lose Nyambe, people like that, and Rothwell. But there is a good squad in there. There really is some very talented players. Obviously, Brereton and Diaz if they do sell Brereton Diaz and the money's reinvested, and that's what I mean when I say Farquhar comes in, they might go, "Look, we're going to sell Brereton Diaz. We're going to get, I don't know, somewhere between fifteen and twenty million pounds for him. He's got a year left on his contract. Mm. We've got to sell now." It's not about that, really. It's about where that money then goes and how much of it's available for a new yeah, manager to then exactly. mould the squad and add quality and a bit of experience around these very talented youngsters. Interesting times. Definitely. Now, of course, the flip side of Bournemouth's victory was putting the pressure on Nottingham Forest and they duly responded with a 5-1 victory, an emphatic victory against Swansea City, uh, matching the Cherries with a massive win at the City ground. Surridge again, the star man. We spoke about him a fortnight ago and his form has only improved since we sort of put him in the spotlight a little bit on this podcast. Hat-trick for him. The third goal from Nottingham Forest was a delicious move. James Garner picking the ball up in midfield, driving run, probably better ball-carrying ability with that driving run than I've probably given him credit for. With someone that I've been impressed with on the ball, but really good driving run. Nice weight of pass and timing of pass and it's a brilliant finish from Surridge into the top corner. Uh, and he was brilliant. He can do a little bit of everything. I know I spoke about him a couple of weeks ago. I'll try not to repeat myself, but I think he's got brilliant movement in the six-yard box. I think he's a very good all-round number nine. I think he's got the movement. He's, he's quite stocky. He can hold the ball up, and he's a bit of a poacher, and I think you saw that with the header, and I think you can see that he's also got the ability to come to feet and 
score goals from outside the area or just slightly inside with that finish from uh, for the third goal and then capping off his hat-trick with another sort of predatory finish. Really, really good performance for him. And with Graben out for the season, Keenan Davis out at the moment, he's vital for this team if they're going to get the goals, which they are at the minute, which will get them potentially into the automatic promotion place. 17 shots on target yesterday, George, which is the most in any match in England's top four divisions this season. An expected goals tally of 4.51. Strength in depth, disposed of an informed Swansea City team, and it sets up a delicious encounter coming up on Tuesday at Bournemouth. Can't wait for it. I really can't. It's going to be such a contest, and I really just... I would not rule Forrest out doing it. I know Bournemouth have that three-point cushion, but if Forrest go into that game on Tuesday night, win it, they're locked on points to them. They'll go ahead of them on goal difference. Final day shootout. I mean, my word, when you when you remember when Forrest, after seven games, were bottom of the league, the fact that they could go up automatically with two games to go is unbelievable. The performance against Swansea at the weekend was was superb. There's no other word for it. It had a little bit of everything. Surridge, obviously, the star of the show. Garner with a couple of assists. And the thing is, what I like about Steve Cooper is what he's done is the fact that they've just kept they're going and going and going. Their form, there's no dropping standards at all, is there? Their last 10 games, we've got some stats here. Their last 10 games, they've won nine of the last 10, scored 26, conceded just four in 10 games. They're getting it so right at both ends of the pitch. And that's the thing. Defensively, they've conceded the fewest goals in the Championship this calendar year. They've only conceded 10. Since I'd like the to know, and I don't, I, don't, I don't mean this literally, don't work it out while we record, but I'd like to know how many times Forrest have conceded one or more in a game since Cooper came in. Because I think people can get a little bit obsessed with clean sheets. And you're, sometimes the opposition will score a goal that is just good quality. But I think the important thing to focus on is conceding no goals or one goal. And I think if you can keep to that, you've got a really good chance of winning football matches because it's not it's not impossible to score two goals and you can't always keep the opposition out. But if you can keep them to one goal maximum, I think that makes a massive difference in trying to win football games. And Forrest are scoring quite freely, but there'll be moments this season where they can't score very freely. And if they only need one or two goals, they can still get over the line. Well, I can give you the answer to your question. It's four. They've conceded only one goal or more on four occasions. Since Cooper uh, what, came in. Yep. Four to Fulham. 2-0 defeat at Middlesbrough. 2-1 defeat to Cardiff. Car. And a 2-2 draw with Stoke. That's the only times. Let, but let's bear in mind now. Let's think about it. They've lost one game since losing to Cardiff on the 30th of January. They've lost two games this calendar year. They're on a run now of nine wins in the last ten. Seven home wins in a row. They've beaten Fulham last week, keeping a clean sheet. Quite they hammered West, hammered West Brom. This team, when you remember where they were after seven games, have come on to be one of the, one of the best teams to watch, I think, the Championship scene in recent years for what they do. And the thing is, what I look at this run that Forrest are on, they've been brilliant defensively, but you look at the wins they've had in this run. 4-0 against Reading, 4-1 at Blackpool, 4-0 against West Brom, 5-1 on, on Saturday against Swansea. They've got the ability to win ugly like they did at Peterborough last week and take teams to the cleaners and still get it right at the back end of the picture. And let's bear in mind, this run that they're on, they've lost one game since 30th of January and that was to a penalty at Luton, which was dubious. Right, George, it, Tuesday, Tuesday night coming up. Tuesday night coming up. 
Bournemouth v Forest. Forest have got to win. If yep. they win, um, then the obviously they will, they will go above Bournemouth on goal difference and it goes to the final day. Forest are away at Hull on the final day, who obviously are on the beach. Um, Bournemouth have got Millwall at home that technically can still get in the playoffs, but they would need about a 4-0 win at Bournemouth and results to go there elsewhere. So they've not got much to play for in reality. How does this game go on Tuesday night? What's your score prediction? I fancy Forest. I can't lie. I think there'll be goals and I think it'll be quite an entertaining game. I'm going to go for something like a 3-2 Forest win. I think it's going to be a cracking game. I really do. I think for the neutral, it promises to be brilliant. For the Forest fans, probably more than the Bournemouth fans, it probably promises to be the most nerve-wracking, longest 90 minutes of their lives. But it promises to be a cracking game. Both sides are capable of playing really good football. They've both got brilliant attacking options. But there's just something about this Forest side. Now, I'm not sure if it's the fairy tale of having come from the bottom all the way to this position. Let's bear in mind, Are you going no to sing? team... No, not quite. No team in Championship history went bottom after seven games has ever finished higher than 14th. So let's just take into context what already an achievement it is. It's unbelievable. It makes you wonder, had he been in charge from the start of the season, Steve Cooper, would this Forest side have gone up as champions? Who knows? We'll never know. But terrific. Love watching them. Terrific again at the weekend. And I'll tell you what, Tuesday night, it promises to be an absolute belter. But I don't know if it's me being a bit biased towards Forest with a certain wager I've got on them. But I still fancy them to sneak into that top two. I think it will be a draw. I watched. I I've been big on Forest, and I would have said Forest before the weekend. But having watched Bournemouth live, dealing with the pressure, how good Solanke was, I think Bournemouth will get a draw, and I think obviously that suits them massively down to the ground. And I think Bournemouth will get a draw and probably get promoted from there. That from from there and in. But I think. If I'm being honest, I think it doesn't really matter. I think whoever doesn't go up, particularly Forest getting the playoffs, I'm confident Forest would win the playoffs. I'm less confident Bournemouth would win the playoffs, but I still think these are the next best two teams in the division and it's going to be a great game on Tuesday night. Absolutely no doubt about that. In the battle for sixth place, of course, Blackburn Rovers now out of it mathematically, so it comes down to three teams and that's because Sheffield United came from behind with a massive 3-1 victory at Queen's Park Rangers on Friday night to keep the weekend off. Real bottle, I have to say, from Sheffield United. 1-0 down. Unlucky to be 1-0 down as well. I thought they played quite well in the first half, but 1-0 down from a, a header from Charlie Austin. Slight defending from Basham to let Austin get the run on him. And you go 1-0 down. You've got no fit strikers on the pitch. You've got only Daniel Jebison, who's a young lad, on the bench. Um, and you would be, you know, inclined to think this might not be our night. You might not down tools, but you could see how you could be de- uh, demotivated, demoralised. Billy Sharp out again. He's been the talisman for them this season, not just in terms of goals, but link play within, uh, with with uh, Morgan Gibbs White as well. But that second half performance was really, really good, and I have to give a lot of credit to Sheffield United for the bottle they showed because I'm not sure. <laughs> Every Sheffield United fan would have expected them to come back from that point. Um, two goals from set pieces. The first with Ilan Manjai with a, a poacher's effort. He's really stepped up in fairness since the strikers have been out. Um, he's been in the cold at times this season. He's not always. He's not the finished product. He's only 21. Um, he's a little bit raw. 
But he's got a, a an instinct in front of goal, and he he scores goals. I think of the goal he scored very late on against Reading, really good finish, which should have got them a point, but for bad defending at the other end in stoppage time. Yes, there's moments where he blazes big chances over, like at Bristol City where he went through and should have scored. But it's a really good finish. I think it's slightly behind him and he digs it. If he hits it on the floor, it hits the goalkeeper in the chest. But he lifts it over the goalkeeper for one all. Bullet header from Jack Robinson for 2-1. And then a rocket from Conor Harahan to make it 3-1. A point on final day against Fulham should be enough, depending on goal difference. Sheffield United in pole position, George. They certainly are. Um, and I said, didn't I, several weeks ago that I fancied United to get that last playoff place and They've stumbled a little bit in recent weeks. Obviously, the, the disappointing defeats are ready in the draw with Bristol City. But they found a way on Friday night. And that is the thing. At this stage of the season, you just have to find a way to win. And that's exactly what they did. I watched the second half of Friday night. I didn't see the first because I was busy. But the second half, I was impressed by United. And they, they deserve to win the game. There's no doubt about that. They created a, plenty of chances. And literally just minutes, seconds maybe, before they put the ball in the net for 1-1. Don Goodman said on the Sky Sports commentary that you just got the feeling it was going to be one of them nights. But obviously they proved him wrong and they found a way and that was the thing. And Obviously from a QPR perspective, they'll probably be disappointed with all three goals that they conceded. Certainly the first one. It's a scrappy one. It's bouncing around. But like you said, Njai, he's found a way and he's shown his natural instincts as a poacher where obviously we've seen early this season, like for example, when he scored that beautiful solo goal at Fulham that he's capable of the spectacular. So it seems like United obviously in Amongst this crisis, they found somebody that is able to put the ball in the net. But you just, you just worry that they go into the playoffs. Is it that little bit of inexperience at the top end of the pitch that could potentially cost them in what is shaping up to be potentially a very, very competitive lineup in the playoffs? And I think we're already certainly you've said there. Obviously, Forest Bournemouth. You fancy one of those two to be the like the leading light in the playoffs. Obviously, you've got a factor in Huddersfield as well. But United on their day are a good side and they've got good players in there, but it's the top end of the pitch where you worry about. But when you've obviously got someone like Conor Huran that can come off the bench and do what he did on Friday night, it shows the class that they've got. And we obviously spoken a few minutes ago about obviously how far Forest have come and Steve Cooper. I think you've got to give huge credit to Sheffield United and Paul Heckingbottom as well, because obviously the, the anger that met his appointment in November, when obviously the Blades fans were absolutely furious that obviously they'd gone from Chris Wilder that the Saint legend of Bramall Lane to obviously Slavija Kanovic, who was seemingly a very good appointment at the time. We all thought it. That went pear-shaped. And then all of a sudden you've got Paul Heckingbottom, who's done a little bit of Leeds, a bit of Barnsley, and mainly in youth football in the last couple of years. But he's proved himself and he's done a very, very good job. Whether they go up or not, he's done a good job. There's no denying that. And it feels like He's reinstated some like some traditional values to United to Bramwell Lane for what they were under Chris Wilder that the fans and the players are more familiar with that's got everybody back on side after Jukanovic. So United, I think I think they'll get in the top six. Obviously, it's going to be a bit of a nervy final day for them. Obviously, they um, if they fail to win, the door is wide open for Middlesbrough to steal in potentially on goal difference if they draw and Borough win. So the job isn't done yet shall we say. It's not a foregone conclusion. So, it's going to be interesting, but Fulham most probably will have the title wrapped up by Saturday. Then, obviously, their game with Luton on Monday. We'll see how that goes. But I do fancy United to get over the line. I think they'll get something, but obviously, Borough are going to Preston, so it's not an easy game, but it's certainly winnable. But as we know, the final day, it can produce absolutely anything in this league. Freak results, bonkers results. 
So who knows what could happen? It's it's always weird the final day. You get them crazy score lines, don't you? Like we saw in League One on Saturday. I mean, four three, five nils. You get bonkers games, and let's see what happens on uh, on Saturday. But for me, I think United will hold on to that final playoff place. Of course, for QPR, they announced this week that Mark Walton will be leaving at the end of his contract, which has been touted for a few weeks now, but official confirmation from the club. I still think it's the wrong decision. I still think that I would have given him the summer to rebuild, maybe sell a couple of the sellable assets that they've got and reinvest that money into the squad. For me, they've got to go out with a big appointment. If they go and bring in someone in that's an obvious upgrade, they've got to be looking for someone that's got promotion experience for me if they're going to upgrade on what Mark Walton's done and his capabilities. Maybe they're going to be more ambitious and maybe it's going to be a bit more like the QPR of old where they spent a little bit more money. But when you're trying to streamline the squad and develop young players, I think to get rid of Mark Walton, the job he's done, I think is a little bit harsh. They're going to have to, maybe if they bring in a, maybe a Daniel Farker or a Chris Hewton, albeit it didn't go very well at Forest, but he's got promotions on his CV. If they go for that sort of candidate and they give a little bit of money in the market, then maybe you can justify that, whether it goes right or wrong. But for me, there's not that many obvious upgrades with the current squad. Bearing in mind, you've got, you need someone that can work with the current squad unless they're going to invest or unless they're going to sell a Rob Dickey for £15 million and reinvest that money, or a Chris Willock. So you either need a young manager with the current group, you either need to give a bigger budget to someone like a Farker or a Hewton, or you need to sell one of those players and promise the money's reinvested for, for a Farker or a Hewton to, to work that. Otherwise, I think it's the wrong decision, and I would have stuck with Mark Wolverton. Yeah, I think I'd agree with that. I didn't really see a reason to, to offload him. And again, is it a case of he's... He's the victim of his own success over the course of his tenure. Did a really, really good job and it's it's ended a little bit pear-shaped. There's no denying that. They have had a drop-off in the last couple of months where obviously a, a certain playoff finish just fell away. But when I'm just I'm just looking at the latest betting odds now for the QPR job. And again, obviously I said earlier on with the Blackburn thing, they are pretty pointless and meaningless, but you always have a look just to see who's available. There isn't really anybody that jumps off the list to me that I could I see Chris Hewton going. I could see Chris Hewton going there. Yeah, possibly. I think that might be a good shout. I mean, obviously people are gonna gonna say one name, but it, it all depends on what he would want, how soon would he want to go back, and that is of course probably the biggest manager out there at the minute available, which is Sean Dyche. Would that be one? Probably not. He's probably gonna be aiming for a Premier League club and rightfully so with the job he did at Burnley I, for so I long. I think Sean Dyche is attainable for any Premier League uh, for any championship club and he should just look at just looking at the names on the list then. Now, at the minute, Liam Manning is the favourite. Then you've got James Rowbury. I don't Ro- even know who that is. James Rowbury is the manager of... If I'm being thick, I do apologise. Is that who he is? I've, I've let down my League 2 knowledge there. I do apologise, Newport fans. But then you've got John Eustace, who obviously had a spelling caretaker charge in the past. Gareth Ainsworth, an ex-QPR player. Carl Robinson. Chris Hewton. Tim Sherwood, Sean Dyche, Daniel Farker, Lee Johnson. There's not really many that stick out. Probably Farker's probably the one that you would think, but obviously you mentioned obviously him for Blackburn maybe. So it's a really strange situation in the fact that probably the majority of that names on that list, are they any better than Mark Warburton? Probably not. Exactly, and that's where I'm coming from with that. Um, of course, the reason Sheffield United have still not confirmed a playoff place is because Middlesbrough are applying the pressure with back-to-back home victories. Really big week for Borough as they beat Stoke City 3-1 following up from the victory against Cardiff City in midweek. Uh, Matt Crook's back from suspension and, and in the goals again with a brace 
He's been a really important goal source for them this season when the strikers have been misfiring. Really big statement from Chris Wilder's side. Two points behind with goal difference very similar, so not impossible. If Sheffield United draw uh, and Middlesbrough can win by a two-goal margin at Preston, they would leapfrog them. So a point not necessarily going to be enough for Sheffield United against Fulham. The goal score, George, is actually um, Middlesbrough scored 59 and uh, United have scored 58 in terms of goal score because if it's level on goal difference and there's two between them, plus 14 and plus 12, um, then you could see if, if, let's say, Middlesbrough won 2-0 at Preston and Sheffield United drew 0-0 with Fulham, Chef, uh, Middlesbrough would go ahead of Sheffield United on goals scored by one goal. Fine margins, very, very fine margins, but it's certainly a situation that isn't impossible. It only takes United to lose, Borough to win and Borough in there. So United can't afford to take the foot off the gas, but you would think final game of the season, Bramall Lane, it'll be a sellout crowd. They've been very, very good at home, certainly under Paul Heckingbottom. Fulham, who knows? Will they have the title wrapped up? Will they still be requiring something if they lose to Luton? And then Bournemouth win on Tuesday night. Who knows what their attitude could be? It's really hard for us to say, obviously, with this Fulham still to play this weekend as we record on Sunday evening. So it's going to be interesting, but Sheffield United will fancy the chance. They know the job's in, their destiny's in their own hands. They win. It does, they don't have to worry what Middlesbrough do. A point, and they are going to be looking over the shoulders a little bit and having to keep a close eye on what Borough are doing. But obviously, Borough have got to do their job as well. They've got to do their side of the bargain. But it's going to be a battle between these two. I think you can forget about Millwall. It takes an almighty swing. They need to win, I think, by five If they win 4-0 well. at Bournemouth, then it's I'll be shocked. It's mighty swing. Millwall are out of it. And if that comes back to bite me, I, I hold my hands up. But I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm safe by saying that. So I think it's a two-horse race between those two where I am, I am fancying United. I think the Blades will get a result against Fulham. Of course, the big caveat to this, obviously, Fulham play Luton Town. On Monday night, we're recording on Sunday evening. Um, Luton should be fine, but they still need a point to guarantee it. United have got a good chance of finishing above them still. So if Luton finished sixth, then they would play Forest. Huddersfield could play, uh, would play Sheffield United in a Yorkshire derby. Equally, Huddersfield could still finish above Forest if Forest were to lose the last couple of games. So all to play for, both in terms of who finishes in the playoffs, but also what position and who will face who. So that'll be interesting. Uh, of course, Millwall are still in the top six chase. They uh, The chances are looking slender because of the goal difference. They would have to win uh, four or five nil at Bournemouth on the final day, which seems very unlikely. But if Forest were to beat, if uh, Bournemouth were to beat Forest and therefore promoted, you never know what could happen. Likewise, if Fulham beats Luton Town on Monday night, Sheffield United would play them with nothing to play for. These things will affect how those games you're on the final day to, go. You're beginning to fry my brain with all this information. You do know permutations, that. mate. Lots of permutations, and that's why we love the championship. Cause... Can't keep up with it. I've just had to the stress of it of League One without this. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now, of course, really good win for Millwall. In fairness, and even if they don't get in the top six, uh, a top eight finish looks very likely, and that would be a really, really good achievement for Gary Rowett's side. I think. Signing Benny Kafobe would be a really big statement in the summer. I think he's out of contract with Bristol, uh, with Stoke City, I think I'm right to say. Keeping Tom Bradshaw fit, I would like to see them two have a season together in this 3-5-2 system, fit and firing. Of course, they will need to replace Jed Wallace, who showed his quality again with two lovely crosses for the first two goals. First finding Afobe and the second one uh, turned into his own net by Josh Knight. So Wallace will need replacing. They've got to get star quality in there. Funny fact, did you know that 
Jeb Wallace will leave this summer, in all likelihood, and never have won Millwall's Player of the Year, despite obviously being their best player for the last five years. That's pretty mental, isn't it? Crazy, that. I didn't know that, to be fair. And you would have thought he were pretty nailed on to win it every year with the way he's performed in the last three or four years. Exactly. So I would like to see them sign Benekafobe permanently. I think he's looked at home. And I think as he's got that ring rust out of him of playing regularly, he's scoring goals, he's hit over double figures... He stayed fit. I think he'd be a good signing and a statement of intent. With he's probably not on the uh, smallest wages, you would say, but that would nonetheless be a really good addition. It feels like they're just one step away from that next step that I've always spoken about. For if they can get, yeah, if they could get a phobie on a permanent deal, keep him fit, get a replacement for Wallace, maybe a good loan signing. They've proven again this season they're a real force we reckon with at home. If they can carry that forward and continue that, we've always said the Den's an intimidating place for opponents to go. Little flashes of quality, but obviously if they lose Jed Wallace, it all depends on who they're replacing with because he's a big player to lose. Let's be honest, the amount of chances he's created and assists he gets, they are going to feel his absence. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, that pretty much rounds off all the games that matter in terms of uh, teams that have something to play for. Now we've got four games, uh, five games, sorry, of just general fun and chaos that don't really mean a lot. Probably the one that does mean a tiny bit was Huddersfield Town's 2-1 victory at Coventry because it confirms a top four finish for Carlos Corbrand's side. They can't finish lower than fourth, which is a monumental achievement as we've highlighted so many times on the podcast this year. Some cracking goals, or a cracking goal from Harry Toffolo, I should say, and then Azurin's first professional goal. And they're still doing this without uh, Sorba Thomas, who's out injured at the minute. Danny Ward's been out injured and was on the bench because he's still getting back fit and Jordan Rose's been in good form. Still getting results. And as I say, top four finishes guaranteed. Some achievement. For Coventry, you'd be pretty optimistic about next season if they can build on that. I think the summer recruitment will be crucial as to whether they stand still or maybe go slightly backwards or whether they can make another leap forward. Jokeres has been brilliant. Keeping him is going to be obvious, obviously going to be crucial, as is Callum O'Hare. Gustavo Harmer signed a new contract. And a little bit of investment in the right areas and given Mark Robbins' recent track record and transfer market, you'd back him to find the right sort of players. I think with some good loan additions, with a little sprinkling of extra quality, it will be an interesting summer and see where Coventry are this time next season. But they've got to inject a little bit more quality to bridge that gap to get in the top six with three more teams set to come down with parachute money. West Brom, no doubt, going to be stronger next year than they have been this year, etc., etc. Yeah, definitely. But Coventry, I think there were signs towards the back end of last season, wasn't that they were beginning to begin to become a force at this level again. Obviously, they'd had so many off the field problems, been down to League Two, battled their way back through League One, and got back to the Championship. Obviously, the season before last, but they've exceeded expectations this season, and obviously they were flying at the very, very beginning of the season when they went on that. What was it? The first seven or eight home games that they won, they were terrific. Seems such a long time ago that now, but. They've done very, very well this season and I think they can look back on this season. They can look back on some very fond memories. They've earned some special memories. They've had some great results. They've played some good football. And let's be honest, the chances are, potentially they could end the season for sake of argument. They could, depending on how things are on the final day. They could finish the season as close to six points off the top six. That's not bad going for a second season back in the Championship. With, a, with obviously a club that's had to play one season of that away from their own ground with no fans. So, huge credit to Mark Robbins. He's done a terrific job over the course of the season. There's been some really good individual performances. Certain players have grown dramatically under his management. 
And they're another one like Millwall that maybe next season you just think could be with that next step, a little bit of injection of quality, they could be a real outsider. It's proven by this year with Huddersfield by Luton that it's not impossible to bridge that gap to the top six. So already for next season, it's looking like potentially, and who knows, obviously, the three sides that could be left from the playoffs who don't go up, it could be even more competitive than this season. And I, for one, I think Coventry have got to be got to be considered as, as certainly playoff contenders next year. For Huddersfield, obviously, they're not going to play Forest no matter what, because whether they're third or fourth, it'll be Luton or it'll be Sheffield United. In Sheffield United, the two games, they've drawn 0-0 and, and won 2-1 at Bramall Lane. Luton, they obviously beat very recently 2-0. So good records for them. Every reason to be confident, hopefully get some some key players back. Danny Ward back playing regularly and Sober Thomas back in the team. Luton are depleted with injuries. So are Sheffield United. Real opportunity there for Huddersfield Town. Perhaps the performance of the weekend came at Ashton Gate, George, as Bristol City pulled. I don't know what I'm more shocked at. Well, I'm not shocked that they scored five goals, actually, because Bristol City have only scored, only the top three in the Championship have scored more than them this season. I am shocked they got a clean sheet, though, because only... Peterborough and Reading have conceded more. So that's been the real issue for Bristol City. But the quality up front has never been in doubt. Um, they're ending the season with one win in, uh, with one defeat in seven, which is really impressive. And for me, the easily the most underrated player of the scene has got to be Andy Vyman. Tw- not just 21 goals, but 11 assists to go with it. That's 22 30, goals. 22 goals. Oh, 10 assists then. 10 assists then, sorry. Um, I've got for, here in a minute. 32 goal contributions in 42 games for a bottom half club is phenomenal. Um, that's just an incredible strike rate. And yet, if you said, ask someone to name Bristol City's best attacker, I think a lot of people would say Antoine Semenya, who was again in very impressive. And he's just got everything you'd want in terms of left foot and right foot. He can finish. He's got that athletic build, he's got pace to burn in behind, he's got flexibility that he can play off the right, off the left or down the middle and he could be a real star next season and that's if he can, if Bristol City can keep hold of him and ward off some potential suitors. I would quite like him to stay at Bristol City next season because I think he could hit 20 goals and then make the jump. I don't want him to jump too early uh, and get stuck behind someone else for that number nine role or even one of the wide forward roles. Bristol were fantastic. That I mean, that chip for the for Vyman's second was sublime. What a goal that was! Cantona-esque. Semenya with the pace and power just bullied Alfie Jones and Sean McLaughlin all evening. Uh, Chris Martin with a brace as well, which takes him to double figures. Another, you know, decent season for him as he tries to resurrect his career still a little bit. And that front three is, in terms of numbers, as good as anything really in the league. Sort of top six downwards, definitely even against some of the teams in the playoffs. Bristol City got to sort the second got to sort the back end out of the team. And we'll see what Chris uh, what Nigel Pearson can do with that in the summer. But some encouraging signs to end the season off after what's been a, a certainly an up and down season for Bristol City fans. Encouraging campaign indeed. No doubt about that for the uh, for the forward players and here's a question for them for 10 points. How many goal contributions between Vyman, Semenya and Martin this season in the league? Between the three of them? Uh, 74. 70. That was a good guess. It's not bad going, that, is it, for a team that's been bottom half all season long. 70 goal contributions, that is a remarkable return when you when you think How about it. How many goals have they scored? Because uh, that must be a very look. high percentage. It will be a very high percentage. They've scored 62. 
And bear in mind, 70 of them are contributions between the three of them. Jeez. It's it's quite remarkable just how, obviously, they've linked up between them. And obviously, Semenyo has contributed 20 of them now. 12 goals, 8 assists. Chris Martin, despite getting on his years, he's still got the ability to finish at this level. He's always a striker that I've rated. And Weimann, obviously, where this has come from, Lord only knows, nobody would have seen this coming at the start of the season. He's been absolutely outstanding. Potentially, if it wasn't for what Mitrovic has done, he'd be up there for player of the season, really. And when you think about it, it's quite surprising that he didn't make the shortlist, really. But obviously, it proves the, the standard that's been been set this season. So, they've had a really good uh, really good last few weeks, Bristol City. And obviously, it's just a case that their good form has come too late to achieve anything. They can't finish any higher than 17th now. They can't finish any lower. So, they are going to be, in the grand season, they're going to be disappointed with where they're going to finish the season. 75 goals conceded, obviously, speaks volumes about where the problems lie. So it's quite clear the problems, the um, what they've got to do next season to make progress. But considering a couple of months ago, I was I was concerned about Bristol City and beginning to think were they actually going to go anywhere under under Nigel Pearson. It seems like he is beginning to get his house in order. But obviously, the the key thing for them now is is keeping that front three together. Really, particularly Semenya, obviously, is going to be the most eye catching talent for Premier League clubs because of his age. But Vyman. All of a sudden, he's he's gonna be in the shop window because if you've got the ability to to uh, register thirty two contributions in a season, it's not by going. He's only thirty. He's not two years quite... left on his contract though. I don't know if that'll put some people off because they want a do. decent fee. They will they, off the back of this season. They certainly will, and Bristol City are very right to demand one. Let's be honest. In this day and age, they'll be they'll be asking silly money for him. But when a player's proven that he can do that, if he can keep him next season and add injections of quality behind beef up the defence, Bristol City will be looking to make significant strides next year. So that's what I'm saying. There's so many clubs that you feel have already got building blocks in place to kick on next season and achieve something. And already, it's going to be really, really interesting. Obviously, we've got Norwich who have come down officially now. Wigan have come up. Rotherham have come up. It's already shaping up to be really competitive next season. Obviously, then we've got the small matter of three of the four in the playoff places are still going to be with us. So, it's looking interesting for next year already, but there's a lot of clubs, I think, like your Millwalls, your Coventrys, your Bristol Cities, your Stokes, your QPRs, your Prestons, that will all be looking to kick on. So, I dread to think how it's going to pan out next season, so it should be very interesting. But for Bristol City, terrific win at the weekend, some lovely goals, particularly Vyman's uh, second to get the, the Canton RS chip, as you said it was. So, looking good for Bristol City, ending the season with a flourish, but obviously 17th, not exactly a season to remember in that respect. No, uh, three more games to finish us off now. Barnsley won at Preston North M3 uh, without Domingos Keener and, and Bassi, who have been comfortably their best players this season and only joined in January. This is a very, very lowly Barnsley side, if we're being honest. No manager, no quality. Uh, comfortably beaten in midweek by Blackpool and now Preston. Two very nice goals from Daniel Johnson, particularly the first into the top corner. Need to get him goal- scoring goals again if Preston are going to be successful next season. I watched them live at Deepdale as so they got trounced by Blackburn 4-1 on Monday night and I have to say they were really poor. There's a few players going back like Van der Berg who will obviously go back to Liverpool. Everson is on loan from Leicester. So getting suitable replacements in. I think the biggest thing for them is they need upgrades at wing back. I think that's the position where in Ryan Lowe's 3-5-2 that's the position where they've really got to strengthen. They've, they've, Cunningham's played down that left-hand side. Not a wing back. He's a left back and quite defensive-minded at that. They need someone that can get forward and pose a, an attacking threat down that left-hand side. And then 
down the right. They've been playing Ali McCann and Brad Potts, two central midfielders on that right wing back role. So I think that will be the first port of call in his shopping list. Of course, Cameron Archer will go back as well. His goals will need replacing. I think Preston can do good things, but Ryan Lowe will definitely need support in the transfer window to get the right place to fit his system. A striker's a must that can get them 15 goals. Two wing-backs that can fulfil the roles of uh, what a wing-back needs to do in the modern game, getting forward and, and particularly important in this Ryan Lowe team. Central midfield looks all right with, with Whiteman, Brown and Johnson and uh, then McCann and Potts potentially if they're going to play in those roles. But a few holes that need plugging before I get too excited about Preston. It's more reservations about the board and how much they'll support Ryan Lowe than, than actually him himself because I think he's a, a man that has talent and I think in fairness he's the sort of figure that will demand and have ambition from the board. He won't be prepared to stand still so that will be an he's, interesting watch with Preston. He's already set very high standards hasn't he with obviously showing Izzy Brown the door this week and Murphy as well so it shows that he's not going to take any nonsense and it's quite clear that he's going to have plans, big plans for this summer to to take Preston forward and obviously we've seen him flashes obviously their form has been a little bit up and down recently but certainly when he first came in they looked a really really good side really well energised well worked and another one that you would think next season will will really want to kick on and push on but like you've said there it all depends on what those above him are prepared to back him with and invest Absolutely uh, Reading nil, West Brom 1 Andy Carroll left out of this one uh, and won't play in either of the well, didn't play at the weekend and won't play in the last game either. He's been told he won't get a new contract with Daryl DK coming back next season and the wages he might be on and also Steve Bruce citing that just his presence makes the team play in a certain way a little bit more direct than he doesn't want, which is not necessarily a fault of Carroll's, but it's a fact. Slightly gone under the radar, perhaps. Colin Grant scored his 16th of the season, which is probably a better record than a lot of people would have suggested. Um, he's had a not a bad season, really, in truth, but the team has obviously really struggled. And it shouldn't go unnoticed that they managed to keep a clean sheet away from home. They've only kept two clean sheets on the road since December the 7th. Steve Bruce has got a lot to sort. He made headlines this week by saying that all the players have to move to within an hour, an hour and a half of the training ground. But he's still going to live in Cheshire, which is obviously two hours away. He's not the one pulling his boots on on Saturday afternoon though, is he? That's the thing. But no, I think for West Brom, obviously disappointing season, underperformed. Been some, it's been weird under Steve Bruce because there have been some really good results and some really poor ones. They've been hit and miss. They've either been brilliant or really, really poor. So, big summer for them. I'm not sure they were either, either in this game. I know. It was just one of those end-of-season games where it was nothing riding on it at all. Good goal, though, to win it. Take nothing away from Carl Grant. Really silky finish. But the thing for West Brom is, at the back, they've not been bad. 18 clean sheets this season. Only Sheffield United and I think Bournemouth have kept more. So, they've certainly done reasonably well. At, uh, at that end of the pitch. Obviously, Carlin Grant has has come up trumps with the goals, so it'll be really interesting to see what happens this summer because obviously big changes need to occur and obviously there's big wages, big names that I think you know need to be cleared. And it'll be interesting to see where they go, but I think for me, Steve Bruce has earned the opportunity to, to have the summer and, and give it a crack from the off, even if obviously his reputation has been tarnished a little bit with what happened at Newcastle and things like that, but He's a good manager at this level. I've always said it and will probably continue to say it. So, interested to see how it works out for them. But they're another club that will be looking to significantly kick on next year. I think the midfield area is really important for that. I think they yeah, need some more, agree with that. more dynamism in there to go with Mount's quality. I think Livermore has been steady, but I just don't think they need a third midfielder if they're going to play 3 5 2. 
I still think that needs gelling together a little bit better. And then finally, probably the shot result of the weekend for me, Blackpool nil, Derby 2. Obviously, it was our bank, both of our bankers uh, for the weekend. But with fair reason, I think. Blackpool's home form, Derby playing the kids, uh, Derby being abysmal away from home, and Blackpool winning 2-0, obviously, at Barnsley in the, in the week. So, you can see that, but a great win for Derby nonetheless. A rare away win in a clean sheet, as I say. And a lot of these youngsters are, are being given the opportunity to show that they can be part of a hopefully a you know a promotion challenging team. It's you know I don't want to put too much pressure on Derby. We don't know where they are. We still don't know if they're going to exist next season. Albeit it's looking hopeful. But Cashin and Ebiwowe, uh, who have been really good in sort of the last sort of six games, ten games since they've come in with injuries to other key players, they've been really good. And hopefully with some new recruits and some experience sprinkled and around the likes of Cashin. Ebi Oway, um, Jason Knight, Max Bird, etc., etc. They they can hopefully make an impact next season, and, and fingers crossed for Derby that they're not hamstrung again by off the field issues. No, I certainly hope not. Purely for the fans, they've been through the ring of this season. They've had a really, really difficult time of it. But I was actually, I was actually studying the table this afternoon and looking at it, and I thought to myself, depending on obviously what happens on the final day, if Derby win and Reading lose. They will go down by four points. That's quite an achievement when you consider what, what Wayne Rooney and the fans and everything they've had to put up with this season. If they go down literally by four points with a 21-point deduction as well, that's that's kind of an achievement in itself to have only missed out by four. Obviously, it could be as big as 10. It could remain at seven. Who knows? Obviously, it depends on the final day. They're going down regardless. But put it this way. You've not seen many relegated sides in championship history go down with such a fight and with such courage and wisdom. So, fair play to them. Obviously, Wayne Rooney's used the opportunity at Blackpool to bring some more of the kids in. And the signs, you would think, obviously, if things go right off the pitch, there are promising signs for, for next season. Obviously, we don't know yet if they'll keep hold of Wayne Rooney. Obviously, I'm sure they'll be trying to. Who knows what offers could come his way in the summer. But, I think, in a way, I think he'll want to stay. He's really gone up in my estimations, not just a manager, but as a person as well, obviously. The Everton offer he had, he didn't want to take it. Can you imagine they getting the chance to leave a club that might not even exist? Well, he got, offered a, job, he got offered a job interview. He didn't get offered the job. Well, interview in itself, regardless. If you'd, You would have thought he jumped at the chance, wouldn't of you, course. to at least have the conversation. Boyhood Everton fan. I mean, arguably one of the, the biggest names that English football has ever produced. And he, and he decided to stay at Derby County, a club that was destined for League One, didn't even know if it was going to make it till the end of the season. So that speaks volumes about the man and the job that he's done. So I'll give him every ounce of credit. A relegation on the CV, yeah, it doesn't look great. But when you go into the in-depth in 10, 15 years' time and realise what he had to put up with, then you'll realise, and potentially, as I said, four points is all they potentially could miss out on, depending on what happens on the final day. They've given it absolutely everything. The players should be proud of themselves, what they've had to put up with in the circumstances. And who knows, a couple more other results have gone their way. They might just have stayed up. So it's unfortunate, but they've given it absolutely everything and some more. Absolutely, and fair play to Derby. One draw in the Championship this weekend and two teams that you quite could easily forget about after forgetful seasons. Cardiff won, Birmingham won. Lots of change coming up for these two next season with uh, lots of players out of contract. Limited budgets for both managers to work under. No certainty over Lee Bowie's future, at least there is with uh, Steve Morrison at Cardiff. All's not great at the club with Birmingham at all. And I'll be 
I wouldn't be shocked if there's some protests next weekend when I'm at St Andrews as, as Birmingham and Blackburn play out their final game of the season. Cardiff at least something to build on. It'll be interesting to see what Morrison can do in the transfer market. Host of players out of contract like Alex Smithy who's going to leave, who actually picked up their player of the year, but he's going to leave. Uh, Will Vox out of contract, Joe Rawls, Marlon Pack, Isaac Vassell, lots of players. Some that probably have run their time and it's not a bad thing they're leaving. Others like Joe Rawls perhaps that Sean Morrison as well, the captain, that could still play a part. So it'll be interesting to see what happens for those two clubs. Of course, in League One, we saw the end of the season. Congratulations to Wigan Athletic and Rotherham United on their promotion. We'll be covering both clubs extensively again next season uh, after a couple of years for Wigan and one year away from Rotherham, who have remarkably been promoted and relegated in the last six seasons up and down. And of course... The playoffs are pretty tasty with MK Dons, Sunderland, Sheffield Wednesday and Wickham Wanderers contesting for that final place in the top six. So be interested to see which of those extra teams we'll be covering as well next season. And of course, Norwich City were relegated officially from the Premier League. So congratulations Shock. to them on winning the, the championship title next season. And congratulations on being relegated the following year and then back up again. Yes, they are the Rotherham United equivalent of the. Uh, they, of they've the officially become what West Brom used to be. I think they they've call it a yo-yo them. club. They do. That's what they were. That's what West Brom's nickname was. We might as well just give that title now to Norwich because we know damn well we'll be sat here in twelve months' time. Well done to Dean Smith and Norwich on promotion, and twelve months after, welcome back. And then commiserations to Fulham on their relegation back to the Championship as well. And we go round again. And that rounds off this weekend's Championship action. <laughs> This is the Championship Chat Podcast. Now we're going to look ahead to the final day of the season with our shocks and bankers. The final one of the campaign, George. What have you got for me? Make it a good one. Well, we've certainly got to go out on a high after this weekend, considering we've both got them both wrong. It was probably our worst one of the season. This is so why we hope. don't do. This is why we don't do a betting show. It is. We, we'd be absolutely hopeless. But in terms of a shock this weekend, I'm going to go with Bristol City to win at Huddersfield. Huddersfield, I think you will see big changes with Carlos Corbran. Obviously, two massive games to lie ahead. Doesn't matter what happens against Bristol City, really. Obviously, they're going to finish third or fourth. So, I'm going to go for that as my shock for Bristol City to close. And I'm saying Bristol City, obviously, as we've said, been ticking along nicely in recent weeks. So, I could see that happening. For Babanka, I've got to go with Nottingham Forest away at Hull. Who knows what Forest could be playing for. They could be fighting for second... They could be fighting to retain second. They could be fighting to finish third above of Huddersfield. Who knows what situation they'll be in, but with the form they're in right now, obviously they've got Bournemouth beforehand, but you, you would back them, you would think, to, to win at Hull City. I've got West Brom to beat Barnsley as my banker because West Brom are finishing the season not with a flourish, but a little bit of form. And Barnsley are probably the worst team in the division right now with the loss of Keener and Bassey and no manager and no real direction at the minute. So I, I'm quite keen to get against them. So, West Brom to beat Barnsley as my banker. My shock, I'm going for Peterborough to beat Blackpool. Both teams, again, got nothing to play for, but I just think Peterborough have been much improved under Grant McCann. I was a little bit shocked to see Blackpool get beaten by Derby in, in all truth, especially after winning at Barnsley. Um, and I could just see Peterborough nicking that one at uh, at the Western, uh, Western home. So, West Brom as my banker and Peterborough to beat Blackpool as my shock. And that marks the end of this week's championship chat podcast if you do enjoy the pod please make sure you subscribe in your usual podcast app and make sure you're following us on twitter and instagram at champ chat pod 24 sharing the podcast helps go a long way to helping us reach new listeners so if you do enjoy the weekly breakdowns 
please do drop us a retweet when your episodes go live. And you can support this podcast with our Ko-Fi page, contributing the cost of a cup of coffee towards our monthly overheads on a one-off basis. Link to donate is in our podcast description if you do feel so inclined. Have a great week and we'll catch you next Monday for the final episode of the Championship Chat Podcast this season.